Jeremiah chapter 23 for today. When I was in my 20s, me and some of my buddies on a summer afternoon, we were sitting around just talking. And one of my friends that was there, of course, Tad, and a buddy of mine, Chris Thompson, who was there. And Chris is one of the smartest guys I know, like just a real, you know, smart guy. And, and uh, I was always impressed. I was like, man, if I could only be as smart as Chris, you know. And uh, what's so cool, though, is one afternoon we were talking, and Chris, you know, we were just talking, and he, he, he said, Brett, I have for you a riddle. And he said, once there were two doors and you were standing before these two doors and in front of each door is an angel. One of the angels in front of one of the doors, well, that angel is a good angel and always tells the truth. One of the angels in front of one of the doors is a bad angel, a fallen angel, and he always lies, but you can't tell which one's which. And to make matters more confusing, one door, don't know which one, leads to everlasting life and heaven and the other door leads to eternal destruction. And when you choose a door, you have to go through that door. But you get one question to ask one of the angels before you choose which door. What do you ask? That's the kind of stuff Chris was thinking about then. He was giving me this riddle. Well, at this point I had a decision to make. Do I tell him that I already knew the answer to that riddle? <laughs> or do I kind of drag him along? Well, I thought I'm gonna drag him along. And I wanted, you know, to kind of act like I was really smart. Well, let me think about that, Chris. You know, it's an interesting dilemma because we have, uh, you know, uh, the, the power of, you know, elementary logic at work here with negatives and positives. And, and, I, and I started talking like I was really smart, you know, using the Venn diagram model in elementary logic, if I were to deduce which one was the good door and the bad door, and knowing that one of them, and I just kind of went and just talked and talked and talked, and Chris was like, you know, it's like, okay, come on, what, what's the answer? Well, after about an hour of me sounding intelligent, <laughs> I finally told Chris, I said, Chris, here's what you do. I've, I've figured it out. I think what you do is you walk up to either one of the angels, the good or the bad one, either one of the doors, the good or the bad one, and you ask the angel at either one, either door, say, what, if, if I'm wanting to go through into heaven, what would the other angel tell me to do? And then do the opposite. Now, if you follow the logic of that, for those of you that are quick thinking, you know that that would actually sort out which door was which and which angel was which and the whole thing. And you'd know which door to go through if you say, what would the other angel say? And then do the opposite. Chris was blown away by my staggering intellect. Seriously, like he said, Brad, I didn't know you were so smart. Like, this is amazing. And he was marveling. And finally, after about three years, I told him that I already knew the story. Um, uh, and, and I knew the answer to that riddle. Uh, but, you know, aren't you glad that the door to heaven is not confusing? That it doesn't take staggering intellect to figure it out, to know what's right and what's wrong? Aren't you glad that you don't have to be a rocket scientist to make it to heaven? I'm so thankful that the way of salvation is so clear. And the Bible is so clear. One of the things I love about teaching the Bible is it's absolute, it's, it's just true. There's no wavering, there's no confusion, there's no contradiction. Now, there's people that try to claim that there's contradiction in the Bible, but it's never really true. I love the Bible for what it is, God's holy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In these dark days, as we see so much misinformation everywhere. Aren't you thankful that we have the truth? Right here in our hands, we get to read the Bible. I hope each of you are valuing the scriptures because the person who loves God's word and reads the word and studies the word, you're gonna find that person, there's gonna be a stability there. If you find a person who's all about the news, watching CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, you will find instability there. Man, there's so much untruth. Um, even today, in, in the last few days, you know, people are debating about what's true and what's false. And you know, for months, there's a group that's been saying, you know, Hunter Biden's innocent, and it's just, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of made-up information about Hunter's dealings with China and all this stuff. And 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 uh, there was a bunch of people just saying it was anybody who was saying that was a crazy conspiracy theorist. Only to find out a couple days ago that Hunter has been under investigation for several years now uh, by legitimate 
you know, uh, investigators and all this. And, and so they're like, oh, well, our bad, we were wrong about that. Uh, and, and isn't it interesting that all kind of came out after the election? It's an interesting thing how the news, I feel like whether you're a conservative or a liberal, uh, watch out. I think that there's so much misinformation out there and I've learned to kind of not really trust any of it. And you say, well, Brett, what do you, how do you know what to think? Well, I'm learning. I really don't know what to think on a lot of stuff, but I do know this. This is the one thing I can say for sure. The Bible is true. God's word is a rock that you can put your feet upon and be immovable and unshakable. I love it. In these days of uncertainty, man, thank the Lord for his word. Now in Jeremiah's day, they didn't have the Bible as we know it, Genesis through Revelation. They had the Pentateuch, the Torah. The Hebrew people there in Jerusalem and Judea under the prophecies of Jeremiah, uh, they had the first five books of the Old Testament. And that was the law of the Lord, the word of God to them. And that was clear for them. There was still much for them to know and what, the, what was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was bad. They, they had that for them. They had the word of God. And Jeremiah the prophet was one who spoke on behalf of the Lord, the words of the Lord. But here in our text this, this morning, and by the way, I had a whole nother teaching planned. <clears throat> and then last night, right before the Saturday night service, the Lord said, nope, I want you to do something totally different. So we had to shift gears uh, and, um, and I called Micah and he put this, my keynote together in like 30 seconds. Um, and, uh, and it works, but I think this is what the Lord really wants us to hear. And so I pray, even though I should be doing some warm, fuzzy Christmas sermon right now, hang on to your hats. Uh, this is kind of brutal. What is this about? It's about these false prophets that were there during the time of Jeremiah. And it translates today in our world to be cautious. We learn a practical lesson about false teaching. So let's dive in. It's Jeremiah chapter 23. We'll start in verse 23. Jeremiah 23, 23. And there we read in Jeremiah 23, 23, it says, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth saith the Lord. Now the Lord starts off with these rhetorical questions that are kind of sarcastic. It's like the Lord is saying, are you kidding me? Do you think I don't see what you guys are all doing? Do you think I'm hiding and I don't see? Do you think that I don't fill the heaven and the earth? He's, he's asking what would really be if you know who God is, ridiculous questions. Why would, he, why would God ask ridiculous questions? Because humanity is ridiculous. We think that somehow God doesn't see what's going on. We think that somehow, you know, we're able to cover up our sins and get away with stuff. And God's too busy to know what's going on in my life or too busy to see what's going on in Jerusalem and Judea. But God says to Jeremiah, are you guys kidding me? Don't you know that I'm omnipresent and omniscient, that I know all things and that I, I can be everywhere at once? That's the rhetorical questions he starts out with because there's some ridiculous stuff going on. Well, what's that? Well, it goes on, verse 25. He says, I have heard what the prophet said, that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own hearts which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream, and he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith, or God says. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them, 
Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. Kind of a play on words in the English, at least. They will not profit. The prophets don't profit. P-R-O-F-I-T. There's no profit in these dumb prophets. That's what the Lord's saying. They're speaking lies. They're going around, I have dreamed a dream. Ooh, sounds so holy. What about dreams? Since we're on that topic, what does the Bible say? Well, as it turns out, the Lord does use from time to time dreams. In fact, as we get closer to the last days, the Bible says in the end times, the old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions, and they'll have meaning and importance. But here's the thing. Uh, We need to have discernment, don't we? Because, you know, the dream could be from the Lord or it could just be the pizza you had the night before. You know, you got a little active sleep pattern going on and you're dreaming about something really stupid. What does it mean? And the answer is pretty simple on this one, by the way. Be careful with dreams. I've noticed on YouTube, there's a current trend of people saying, I had a dream. Pastors and bloggers and podcasters, I had a dream and I don't know what it means, but what's gonna happen? And, And what do you do with those? People say, man, was that from the Lord or not? Well, there's a couple things you can do. First of all, you never change your doctrine because of a dream. You always measure a dream against the scripture because the scripture's true and somebody's dream, it could be true, it could be false. And secondly, does it not only line up with scripture, but does it it ring true in your heart? You see, as a Christian, you and I have a, a device that's so cool to discern what's true and what's false. And a lot of people don't use it, they should. It's called the Holy Spirit. And one of the the manifestations of the Spirit in your life is to have a discerning of the spirits and discerning what's going on. And some of you can say, I don't know if that's that's of the Lord. Like for example, when I was a young pastor, uh, I remember there was all these kind of weird people, hippies in my church, new Christians that had just smoked a little too much weed, if you know what I mean. But they were saved. But there was a lot of weird stuff. I remember one guy coming up with his beady little eyes and he said, Brett, I think the Lord gave me a dream that I'm supposed to marry this girl in the church. And literally this guy was chasing this girl around church saying, God told me we're gonna be married. I had a dream. And she's like, dream on. <laughs> like, that's, like she was like, no way, that's not gonna happen ever. Um, and I literally had to call this guy and say, dude, man, you know, the, the first person that needs to bear witness with that dream is her. And she's saying no. And I had to say, leave her alone. And that was like 35 years ago uh, and they're still not married. So it must've been the pizza. (laughs) You know, dreams can be very misleading and be careful on that. You'll hear all these, you know, people on YouTube, I had a dream and we saw the world coming to an end. Well, that's a good bet. The world will come to an end. Uh, But but when and all that stuff, some people say, I saw the by September, you know, this is gonna happen and that's gonna happen. and, And people are all up in a tizzy and it just discredits oftentimes the truth of the word of God. People think that Christians have to be weird when they see stuff like that. Be careful with dreams and what have you. But to say all that, the Lord does use dreams from time to time. And when you get a dream, you should pray about it, see what the Lord might have you do about it, but definitely measure it up against scripture. If you have a dream that says you're supposed to, you know, go and punch somebody in the face, that's probably not of the Lord because the Bible says you're to be kind to people and, and to love your enemies and do good to those that are bad to you. And uh, punching someone in the face, probably not what the Lord would call you to do. Doesn't line up with scripture. Well, there's a place in the Bible where somebody gets punched in the face. We saw that on Wednesday night. Jeremiah got punched in the face for sharing the truth. Isn't it funny that sometimes people resist the truth more than hearing lies? And what about today? Are we a people, the United States particularly, I can't really speak for the rest of the world, but do we seem to be gluttons for untruth? We love to hear stuff that we wanna hear, but when we hear the truth, it seems that nobody really wants to tolerate the truth. We went from in the 80s and 90s to where, you know, if you were a Christian, oh, good for you, you found your path, but don't be pushing it on me. Now, if you're a Christian and you're a believer in God and the scriptures, man, they don't wanna tolerate you at all. You're one of the most intolerable people on the planet. So what's going on with this thing? Well, Jeremiah, that's the reason this story that we're about to see here really comes to, to pass for our purpose. It's, it's an Old Testament picture and we'll see that. But first of all, let's take a look at, at number one, if you're jotting down notes, number one, Jeremiah's situation. Jeremiah's situation. What's his situation? 
The Lord says, I have heard what the prophet said that they prophesy lies in my name. They were going around saying, I have dreamed. And they were also saying, did you see what our text said? They were saying, God said, God told me to tell you. Oh no. Isn't that the worst when people say, well, God said to me. What are you supposed to say against that? When a person says, God said, they better be true because you might just have to say, I don't believe God told that to you. That was not the Lord. Like the guy that said, God told me I was supposed to marry that girl and I wasn't the Lord. So this whole thing, these prophets going, well, God said, these prophets were prophesying lies. The only prophet that was speaking the truth was Jeremiah. Now, if you're just joining us in the study, what was Jeremiah's basic message? Well, the whole book of Jeremiah is basically 42 years of Jeremiah's ministry, trying to warn the people of what was coming. And he had the word of the Lord. The problem, people didn't like what he had to say. Not one person in 42 years would listen to one word Jeremiah ever said. They re rejected everything he ever said. Meanwhile, there were hundreds of these other prophets speaking against Jeremiah, talking smack against Jeremiah, and then saying everything he said is the opposite. So what was Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah was saying in a nutshell, hey, you guys have moved away from the true and living God and instead of worshiping him, you've worshiped all these pagan Canaanite deities like Baal and Chemosh and Ashtoreth and Moloch and all these pagan gods and goddesses. And because of that, the Lord says, destruction is coming. You're going down, Jerusalem, Judea. The Babylonians are gonna come from the north and two thirds of you, you will be slain in the, in the streets and your bodies will lie there and the birds of the air will pluck the flesh off your bones. The other third of you will be taken off into captivity into Babylon, thus saith the Lord. And the people said, we don't like you. In fact, one king last week we saw, like I mentioned earlier, um, this king walked up and Jeremiah said, that's what's gonna happen. And the king punched him in the face, stuck him into chains and dragged him down and put him in jail. The next morning, he pulls Jeremiah up out of jail and the, stands before the king again. And Jeremiah says, yep, same thing. You're going down, Babylon's coming. You're gonna go to Babylon in captivity. Well, they hated Jeremiah's message and because they didn't like what he had to say, they rejected it. Meanwhile, all these other, what were they saying? They were saying the opposite. In fact, it's Jeremiah chapter 27. I'll just read it to you real quick. Or you can turn there, it's right, a couple pages away. Jeremiah 27, 12, it says, um, Jeremiah says, I spake also to Zedekiah. He was the king of Jerusalem at that time. And it says, according to all the words saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die? Thou and thy people by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence, as the Lord hath spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore, verse 14, hearken not to the words of the prophets that speak to you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon for they prophesy a lie unto you. What were the bad prophets speaking? They were saying, hey, Jeremiah has been drinking his bath water. He doesn't know what he's talking about, that foolish old prophet. And these prophets said, the truth is we're gonna be victorious. We're gonna be victorious. We have hope and we have victory because we're gonna beat the Babylonians and it's gonna be awesome. And they told Zedekiah, don't listen to Jeremiah. He's wrong, we're right, we have the numbers. He's just the lone ranger, stupid prophet that's saying stuff that nobody wants to hear. And so the king, as it turns out, listened to the bad prophets that were speaking lies and didn't listen to Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah's situation. Tough gig to be an Old Testament prophet of the Lord. But that brings us to number two on our list of things to talk about, an Old Testament illustration. Remember that the Old Testament is a picture book teaching us New Testament truths. And when you read a story that did happen factually in history, there's meaning for you and I practically. And the, the lesson here is pretty easy and it's pretty clear. The Old Testament illustration, this story illustrates what happens to the people who reject the true word of God and go with the multitudes, go with the majority. Those who reject God's word and take man's word over God's word. And the idea is destruction. Once you reject God's word, you start getting off the path 
the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. And you get on that other path that could be leading right to destruction. And by the way, what did Jesus say about those two paths? Well, he said, narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. But what is the, the path that leads to destruction? Anybody? It's a broad, huge highway. And many people go down that highway. That's what's happening in this Old Testament illustration. Nobody's going down the narrow path that Jeremiah is presenting, the true one. But everybody's saying, well, we, we believe all the prophets who are saying, it's all good. We're gonna whoop on those Babylonians and man, we're gonna live fat and happy and it's gonna be awesome. That's what they were saying. And that's who they chose to listen. I told you that Zedekiah was the king at this time. Do you wanna know the story? It's, by the way, it's interesting because the story of Zedekiah um, has caused a little bit of contradiction apparent in the Bible. I actually had one you know, atheist when I was in college say, Brett, there's a contradiction in the story of Zedekiah. And um, they said that Zedekiah, the Bible, one place in the Bible says that he would not see Babylon because Jeremiah was saying, come on, submit to, 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 to Nebuchadnezzar and, and be taken. Even if you are a slave, at least you'll live. That's what he said. But Zedekiah, he didn't listen to Jeremiah. And so the prophet said, you will not see Babylon. Another prophet said, you'll actually be in Babylon. You'll go to Babylon. Which one is it? Are you gonna not go there? Or are you gonna go there? And so there's this contradiction in the Bible where Zedekiah was gonna see, not see Babylon. But then there's another one who says he would. Well, all you gotta do is read the story. I'll show you just real quick those scriptures. If you're jotting down notes, number one, uh, Ezekiel the prophet, he said this about Zedekiah the king. He said, my net will also, will I spread upon him and he shall be taken in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. So people interpreted Ezekiel saying they're gonna take Zedekiah, drag him to Babylon, but before he actually sees Babylon, they're gonna kill him in the land of the Chaldeans. Before he gets there, he'll die and not see it. That's what Ezekiel the prophet says. And they say the contradiction is with Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 34, verse three, Jeremiah said, and thou shalt, Zedekiah, not escape out of his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand, and thine eyes shall behold the eyes of the king of Babylon, and he shall speak with thee mouth to mouth, and thou shalt go to Babylon. This is one of those goofy things. And by the way, all the apparent contradictions of the Bible, they're all really goofy. Watch out for these history channel theologians, so-called. Well, we know that a whale cannot be that which swallows a human being. And because we know that whales, they only small, swallow small bits of plankton, there's no way they could swallow a human. And so the Bible is contradictory in that Jonah was swallowed by a big whale. Two problems with that, uh, Albert Einstein. Um, number one, uh, it doesn't say it was a whale. It says it was a big fish. How big, what kind of fish? I have no idea, it could have been a trout for all I know. Maybe it was a rainbow trout that God made 10 times bigger than this building. <laughs> oh, come on, Brett. Do you believe that? No problema. If God says, let there be light, and all of a sudden, there's a sun fireball in space burning for you know, millions of years, guess what? Uh, and I don't think it was millions of years ago, by the way. Um, but that's what they say. God just said, let there be light, and the sun was created. That, if you believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, nothing else after that is hard. A big trout in the ocean, okay, watch this. A big splash in the ocean, and this huge trout swallows Jonah. I don't have a problem with that. Who knows what kind of fish it was? But it was a miraculous story that God actually made happen. Um, that's where you gotta watch these apparent contradictions. Well, this is one of them. Did Zedekiah go to Babylon or did he not? Well, the answer, yes. Yes, what do you mean? Well, the story's in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses six through seven, and it's kind of a horrible story. So they took the king, Zedekiah, brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Rab uh, Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. You see, the Babylonians wanted to do the cruelest thing they could think of. And the last thing that Zedekiah would see with his eyes 
would be his son slaughtered right in front of him. Then they poked out his eyes and then they took him to Babylon. So Ezekiel was right. He would not see Babylon, but he did go there. He didn't see it because he was blinded, but he went there and was carried off into captivity. That's the story of Zedekiah. You say, bro, what does that have to do with anything? Everything. That's what happens when a person sort of as an Old Testament you know, uh, illustration or type or picture is those who reject the word of the Lord and go with the lies of the false prophets, the false teachers, um, they end up derailed and in real trouble. And what may have seemed very warm and inviting and wonderful, I mean, Jeremiah had the horrible message. You're gonna have birds picking your skin off your bones. That's a bad message. All the other prophets, no, you're gonna live victoriously and have hope and everything's gonna be awesome. It's all good but it wasn't. That's the question. What kind of person are you? Are you the person that would rather hear a lie and feel good about it? It's all gonna be great and just live with ignorant bliss? Or would you rather hear the truth? I've noticed there are certain people that just would rather plug their ears to the truth and say, I just wanna know, just make me feel better. I wanna know what makes me happy. And it's that people have itching ears and they wanna have teachers that teach things that make them feel good. And that's human nature. So you've got, you know, Jeremiah's situation. You have an Old Testament illustration, but then that brings us thirdly and finally to the New Testament application. There's an application that you and I need to make and it's, this is where it's kind of brutal and painful. But I've gotta say it. I've gotta say it, that there's, there's a problem today that I'm seeing, and, and maybe this is why the Lord put this on my heart to shift to this teaching this morning. And we'll look at these chapters in total context uh, Wednesday night, we don't skip a verse. But I have to say, as a pastor of many years now, I've become more and more concerned with Christians, the church of Jesus Christ, pictured in the Old Testament story as the Jews in Jerusalem, I see this propensity to believe things that people like to hear. Is it warm and fuzzy? Oh, we'll believe it. Is it accepting? Is it diverse? Is it inclusive? Oh, yes. Is it tolerant? Does it make me feel good inside? And that's what people measure what they hear about life and good and bad and sin and death and eternal uh, you know, condition and all this stuff. People just wanna hear what they wanna hear. So it gets to the point where there's these teachers today. See this New Testament application, this is where Peter makes the bridge from the Old Testament to the New. Would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter two? In 2 Peter chapter two, Peter says, listen, the story of Jeremiah and all the Old Testament prophets where people weren't listening to the prophets anymore. Peter says that was an example for, for you and for me in the church age to be careful and to watch out. It's 2 Peter chapter two, verse one. Let's, let's, well, let's back it up to chapter one because the context here is pretty powerful. Peter is hammering away here about people who are giving words of prophecy. And you know, in the New Testament prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14, verses one and two, prophecies, words of edification, exhortation, and comfort. But people were acting like they had a private interpretation of scripture, that they alone held the truth on what God really knew and wanted for people. So Peter has to do some damage control here. Let's back up to chapter one, verse 19. Second Peter 1, 19. He says, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. What's more sure than a word of prophecy? The word of God written in black and white. The words we're holding right now. This is more sure than some dude saying, thus saith the Lord, when it's written for us. See, they had only five books. We got from Genesis to Revelation, the whole book of the Bible. So we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Hey, listen, do the days feel dark? You're like, yeah, it's pretty dark outside right now. Um, dark, darkness in our day is something that we feel in these, these days we're living. There's a lot of depression and suicide is on the rise and COVID and lockdowns and riots and you know, all this stuff that's going on. These are just kind of dark days, locally even, let alone internationally. 
But it, Peter says, man, you do well that you take heed to the word, a light that shines in a dark place. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. When you're dealing with the true word of God, guess what? It's enlightening. It lights up the dark place. I love that about the word. It's a light that shineth, middle of verse 19, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. If there's some person on YouTube saying, I alone have come up with this understanding and no one else, you can just say there's no private interpretation of scripture. There's no, nobody that's got the, the lone understanding. Watch out for people to go around saying, I alone understand this scripture. I'm the only one who, there's people, I've met people that think they have a monopoly on certain truth, but this is where Peter says, nope. And by the way, that's what I love about Christianity. You know, the true pale of orthodoxy of Christian faith has been supported by millennia of great men and women of faith for centuries. When I read theology, I don't generally read what the latest bestsellers are. Um, I'm not into new stuff. I'm into the dead guys. I like the dead people that wrote solid theological works that, that they saw what the Bible taught and they, they stuck with it. Man, how we need to get back to the old paths, the ancient paths. We even saw that last Wednesday night where the people, they were getting off of the ancient paths and getting onto whatever's new, whatever's you know, uh, fun and embraceive. See, that's the problem. The old saying of the old theologians, it's, they're right on the money when they said, if it's new, it's not, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Um, be careful on new thought when it comes to theology. There's no private interpretation of scripture. Verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy, holy Ghost. So Jeremiah is one of those guys, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God back in those days. But verse one of chapter two, now this is where we get to it. Verse one of chapter two says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, false teaching, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction, just like Zedekiah. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. Mark the word pernicious, it's not a word we use as much anymore. Um, some of your translations say, um, you know, lascivious. Um, uh, others, it's, it's basically meaning loose moral values. That's what that word pernicious means. Uh, you know, and, and there is kind of, believe it or not, a sexual implication of perversity there. Um, it's just loose living is the idea. So many shall, verse two, follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Not only will they not believe the truth, they'll speak evil of the truth. And those that try to speak the truth, they'll say that person's evil. Does that ring a bell? Bible says that in the last days that they'll call good evil and they'll call evil good. That's happening right before our eyes. It's one of the reasons I believe we very well could be living in the last days because good is spoken evil of all the time. Well, verse three, finally it says, and through covetousness, this is what drives them. They want more stuff. They're in it for the money. Covetousness, through covetousness, they shall with feigned words, words that are lying. Fake news is the idea here. They which... They with feigned words make merchandise of you. They're taking you for a ride, selling you a bill of goods is what they're doing. Make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. Peter is right in line with Jeremiah. He's saying just like the very first verse says this, verse one of chapter two, as the lying prophets of the Old Testament were, today in the New Testament church, Peter says we have False teachers, false prophets, Old Testament, false teachers, new. And he's warning the church saying, don't listen to these guys. They're selling you a bill of goods. They're doing it for their own selfish gain, their own motivations. 
And so there, there will be people who will speak those things. Now, Jesus told us in Matthew 24 that one of the signs of the times of the last days of the end of the world, Matthew 24, read it. Jesus said there'll be false prophets that will rise up in the last days, false teachers, just like Peter warned. And that they will deceive many. Boy, I hope you, you realize that you and I, we're living in tricky days where people are being deceived all the time. I don't know if you're following the politics, but it is interesting. Did you see where the Chinese are, uh, you know, China, 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 China. Um, China has these uh, spies and we found one of them this, this, this last week. Um, what was her name? I forget. Feng Feng. Yes, Feng Feng. Feng Feng, well, she, she was this gal that was basically a spy befriending, you know, senators from our intelligence committee. And uh, when I say befriending, you know, um, basically having, you know, relationship uh, sexually with these senators so that she could get information spying for China. And we just found this out, you know. And so you kind of wonder, well, who, where's, where are you safe? Where, what's going on in this world? You can't believe anything anymore. And the answer, you can't. It's just, there's so many lies and so much deceit and who knows what's really going on. See now, here's where I love this because some of you are saying, brother, are you talking, are you making political statements? I'm not. I'm just saying this is what's happening. And, and most of the people I know, whether you're a conservative or a liberal, one thing we know is there's a lot of untruth out there. And that's why there's so much division. I think we'd all be in agreement if we all believed the same thing. But there's so much division and what's really happening? What's really going on? But see, the problem is, I find that even in the church, we find ourselves divided. When you and I, as Christians, we have the word of God and the word should be where we bring it all together. And it's the word that's the anchor for the church. And it's not some harebrained thing that somebody says. That's why, you know, Paul the apostle warned that, you know, you or me or Paul the apostle, we should listen with careful ears, whether it's Pastor Brett or Pastor Paul the apostle. Acts 17, 11, remember? He said, oh, those men of you know, Berea, they were more noble than the men of Thessalonica for they searched the scriptures daily to see if what was being taught was true or false. Search the scriptures daily. Whose responsibility is that? It's yours. Your responsibility, not mine. I'm the one speaking. I'm the big mouth up here. Your job is to say, is Brett teaching things that are from the Bible? Or is he teaching stuff that is just his own opinion? And your job is to, to use the scripture to measure not only me, but all your favorite authors and blogs and podcasters. And you see, you and I are inundated with information in these days that we live. And this is where I'm concerned. As a pastor, I'm concerned how people so hook, line, and sinker tend to follow and be sucked in to false teaching. False teaching can be ever so subtle. And here in the book of Jeremiah, one of the things I've, I'm, I'm seeing is this, there's a relatability to Jeremiah's day where there were fewer and fewer people speaking the truth and more and more people saying, thus saith the Lord, but it was totally whacked, totally off course. And as a pastor, you know, I, I feel that the, it's important for me to watch and warn the congregation. From time to time, I get people saying, Brett, we think you should just talk about what you're for, not about what you're against. You know what I think about that? I think that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> you guys that talk like that. Oh, we're gonna talk about things for. I'm not a wimp, you guys, I'm sorry. I can't play that dumb game. What do you mean, Brett? We should only talk about what we're for. It sounds so good, doesn't it? I hear pastors say, we like to talk about what we're really for. Well, then what was Jesus doing? Did Jesus ever talk about what he was against? Like when he marched into the temple that day and made a whip of small cords and threw the tables over and said, get these things out of her, take these things hence and make not my father's house a house of merchants. Come on, Jesus, be more positive. <laughs> I sense a little negativity. Man, don't do that. Jesus spoke all the time about things he was against. And, and not only that, the Bible tells me as a pastor, a teacher, 
that you're supposed to be measuring with scripture and say, is, is Brett right or wrong about this stuff? That, I challenge you all the time in that because I want you to do that not only with me, but with everybody that you're listening to. You gotta measure scripture and say, is this what the Bible teaches? Now, here's the thing. What you'll find is there, if you measure it with scripture, there's a lot of untrue things being talked about out there. And this is where I get deeply concerned that people don't, they say, well, Brett, you should only be positive and you shouldn't be calling. I, I know that you mentioned in your prophecy update and you showed videos of Bethel and they're flopping on the floor and, and you sh showed videos of that pastor of there at Bethel saying that Jesus had to apologize to him. Remember that? Um, is Bethel's teaching, hey, listen, if there's a Bible teacher saying, listen, that Jesus owed him an apology, that is a false teacher. And that's, that was one of the pastors of Bethel. I showed you that in a prophecy update. And I could go on and on, the new age and all that stuff that the pastor's wife brings into the church and, and, and the minimizing of Jesus. We could talk about the gold glitter and the laying on graves and soaking up the spirit of people and all the weird stuff they do, but th those aren't essential doctrines. The problem with Bethel is not all that stuff, as weird as some of that is. The problem with Bethel is they minimize Jesus Christ and they glorify themselves. That's false teaching. People get mad. And it's funny as a pastor, when I start calling out people, um, some of you get your dander up. I was talking to a lady the other day, I just love Jen Hatmaker. Jen Hatmaker is a false teacher. She, she says that the Bible's wrong when it comes to the homosexual. When the Bible says something sinful, listen, I'm, I'm a person who's gonna say, I kinda agree with the Bible. I, I'm gonna choose God's side. Oh, but Jen's so loving and warm and accepting and all the things she says is so wonderful. You need to measure everything up against scripture and scripture, six times in the Bible does the Bible say homosexuality is a sin. And it even calls it an abomination unto the Lord. Yeah, but Brett, people were, we know more now. People were born that way. Good eye, we were all born in sin. I, I was born a sinner too. I've got all kinds of tendencies to sin and so do you. So we shouldn't be shocked. If you, if you wanna give them that part of the argument that you were born that way, give it to them. But the fact is we were all born in sin and we should all understand that the Lord wants to save us from our sins, not for us to embrace sin. So there's pastors by the droves that are starting to accept homosexuality and saying it's not a sin at all. And, 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 and if a pastor is teaching that, he is a false teacher. If a pastor tells you that his ministry needs your money, or else his ministry's going down. He is a false teacher. God doesn't need your money. The Lord is the owner of cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. God doesn't need anything. That's false teaching. If, if someone tries to teach and say, you know, God's not gonna judge evil. He is a false teacher. If somebody tries to say, hell doesn't exist. He is a false teacher. Hell's not eternal. People get out of hell and, and love wins at the end. You are a false teacher if you believe that and say that. The Bible talks more about hell than it does about heaven. And it's not even questionable what the Bible says about that. Watch out for the false teaching that's starting to permeate churches. And, you know, and, and it gets ever so subtle. You know, there's, there's people that will try to look like Christians and they get very close. If someone comes and says, Jesus is the half brother of Satan, you are a false teacher and you're also a Mormon. <laughs> the Mormons so desperately wanna be considered within the pale of orthodoxy. Do you know that? There's a reason the Mormons are like, we're Christians just like you. And you talk to them and, and I know this a lot of Christians say, we wanna accept Mormons, they're so nice. They are nice people, I like Mormon people. But they've been taught wrongly. Jesus is not the half-brother of Satan. And guess what? You will never be a God. When you reach that celestial level of the Mormon heaven, that you become God. Nope, that's not gonna happen. Bible doesn't teach that one iota. That was Joseph Smith who saw a dream. I think it was the pizza that he had the night before. <laughs> if you hear someone teach that Jesus is not the half-brother of Satan, as it turns out, he's Michael the archangel. You are a false teacher and you're probably from Brooklyn from the Watchtower Society and you're a Jehovah's Witness. It's false teaching. And, and some of you might say, oh, Brett, potato, potato, just small nuanced things. No, who Jesus is and what he claims to be is not small stuff. 
You've got to go with what the Bible says and doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. You know, I, I see the church accepting alcohol more and more. And it's tricky because the Bible doesn't prohibit drinking wine with your dinner and you can do that. And nobody judges you for that. Having a beer during a football game, totally get it. But the problem is what I'm seeing is the church is sort of getting not, not atheist much. We're, we're considered teetotalers and prudes here. Because my staff and leadership, we've all kind of said, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna abstain because we know there's a lot of people struggling with alcohol in our congregation. Alcoholics who are trying to abstain totally. We wanna get on board with them and help them, not stumble them with our, you know, drinking. So that's what we've chosen to do. But here's what I've watched in the church, a greater church, especially here in America, is we don't know what moderation looks like. And, and you know, I, I've... I've come across these stories that just start to break my heart of people who've been arrested, drunk drivers within these churches. And, and, and it's like, we don't know, you know, the government tells us what the blood alcohol level is. There's a young couple that I knew they were coming to AC, but they didn't like how rigid we were on alcohol and they left and went to another church that was very embraceive. In fact, so embraceive was this church that they went to, the pastor would tell about his favorite mixed drinks uh, from the pulpit each Sunday. And they would have their home groups and at home fellowships, they'd open up the cooler and there'd be the Coors and they'd all be standing around fellowshipping and drinking and it was great. But the problem is there were groups going home a little tipsy after the home fellowship. Ah, they were just a little, you know, just a little bit tipsy, come on. You know, this is where the Bible says some stuff that's pretty scary about drunkenness. The government tells you what drunk is. And then the Lord says, be filled with the spirit and not with wine. The Bible says it's not for kings or rulers to be given to wine, lest they forget the law and pervert good judgment. But then the scariest one of all is, is Galatians, Ephesians talked about those, if you continually practice drunkenness, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So these pastors, it can be so subtle. Hey man, it's okay, you can drink. Forget those churches, forget Athey Creek and teetotaler Brett Metter and what he says about alcohol and his, his somber warnings against the you know, demon liquid or whatever. Forget that guy. But here I am saying, you guys, the Bible teaches moderation and that we should be careful never to be drunk with wine. Ah, uh, we don't like that. We, we don't like hearing that. But you gotta understand, even those little nuancey things can be false teaching teaching things that really don't represent what the heart of the Lord is. That's really my goal. I'm just telling you what my goal is, and that is to teach the Bible as it stands. One of the things that's kind of cool about what we're getting to do here is we go verse by verse through the Bible. You can take a single verse out of context and make whatever point you want. But when you go all the way through the Bible, it's a little harder to do that because there's other scriptures that will sort of check you. Anyone who claims these things that are against the Bible. You know, here's a big one, here's a subtle one. Any, any teacher that teaches Christians should be, if they're truly faithful, they should be healthy and wealthy. It's one of the teachings, by the way, of Bethel is that you'll be healthy. If you're really in God's will, you will be healed uh, if you have enough faith. That's not true, that's false teaching. Why? Because Paul got sick, prayed three times. He had an infirmity of the flesh. Infirmity means you're sick. You have some kind of disease. Paul prayed three times and the Lord said, no, Paul, stop praying. You're gonna have that for the rest of your life until you go to heaven. There are some people that try to teach that if you, if, you know, and, and so you have these stories coming out of Reading where, you know, babies are, are being prayed for that have already died and, and made national news. And when that didn't happen, people were like, uh, what's going on there? And it makes people feel bad because our faith must not have been good enough to raise this poor girl from the dead. And then they try to do damage control later and stuff like that. But I see more people wounded. Brett, we don't like that you're calling people out. You should be talking about what you approve of. Can I just wrap off a few scriptures that you should probably know of? You can jot them down in your notes if you want to. Let me read a few that are important. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 says this. Paul says to the Roman church, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them for such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Ephesians 5.11. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Paul told the Ephesian church, expose those who are doing stuff that's wrong. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, uh, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise of his servants if they also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond with their deeds. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by your philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. 2 Timothy 4, verses three through four, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Lastly, 1 John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they be from God. For many false prophets or false teachers have gone out into the world. Over and over and over, I just gave you my favorite. There's, there's tons more of scriptures that say, watch out. Don't just be naive listeners, but to be discerning listeners and people that are hearing the word of God and, and whatever you hear, whatever you read, whatever podcast you're listening to, measure it against scripture. Be careful, church. I see the tendency for people to love stuff that they shouldn't be loving. Accepting things that we are told to call sin and to run the opposite direction. I see doctrine that has become kind of cattywampus and people are confused of what is true. And all of this was predicted in the last days. That's what happened. Jesus warned about it. We're supposed to be watchful and careful. In Acts chapter 20, Paul told the elders of the church at Ephesus, watch and warn the flock that Jesus purchased with his own blood. He purchased the congregation. If you think that I'm you know, sounding kind of defensive, it's defensive for you guys. I want our congregation to be the most biblical, tight, theological people on the planet. I'd love for this congregation to know, well, that's not really in the scriptures. Sounds good, wished I could think that way, but if it goes against what the Bible says, I'm gonna choose to think biblically and not with popularity. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say. And this story of Jeremiah, I think this is one of the main things, the main lessons of this book of Jeremiah is to watch and warn the church of Jesus Christ against false teaching, prophets that are lying, speaking to their own you know, material goods for their own purposes, but misleading many. That's happening today. And we should be on the guard in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you so much for this somber reminder. Once again, in your word, you tell us there, Paul speaking to young Timothy, that a good minister will put the brethren in remembrance of these things. And Lord, I pray that you would do just that, that you would cause us to remember to search the scriptures daily. Lord, give within this congregation a real love for your word. I pray that we'd be passionate about your word, about measuring the things that we hear and the attitudes that we hold and the political views that we have and all of that measured against the scripture. Give us understanding of your word, Lord, and help us to apply it. Lord, help us to avoid the pitfall of the people of Jeremiah's day who went with the majority rather than the single guy who is speaking your truth powerfully, Jeremiah. Lord, give us understanding. Guard the hearts of the congregation, I pray. And so, Lord, we commit all this to you and pray that you'd just give us wisdom as we discern in these difficult days. In Jesus' name.